Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another episode. This is episode 84. uh, And my guest on this episode is my friend Nathan. And he and I talked about Highlights of a Dangerous Life, a record by the Johnnies. An older Australian, what is called cowpunk band. Um, And yeah, they were a part of, you know, the older sort of what became like a pub rock movement and things like that. Um, And it's a really cool record. One that I definitely hadn't listened to at length, uh, but knew sort of loosely about the band because of the other bands they're linked to, like Hoodoo Gurus and um, Beast of Bourbon and things like that. Um, But yeah, it was cool to chat with Nathan about this and uh, get an opinion from someone who really loves the record and definitely as we talked about in this, there's a couple of songs that have now entered into my like regular listening playlist of music um, like this. Um, but yeah, so we talked about that and also talked about the different couple of things that Nathan's doing in uh, his life and in, in the weird time that we are in isolation. Uh, Nathan plays guitar in a band called Grey Mare, who are really cool. Um, and also is the managing director of a awesome organization called Barpadilla Foundation, um, which Nathan will go into at length, but uh, an Aboriginal non-for-profit organization uh, doing arts development and support um, and a lot of cool things at the minute. Uh, Right now, running a fundraiser as well um, to support Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander artists um, and the community affected by the situation we're all in right now with uh, COVID-19. You'll hear about it in this and I'll let Nathan speak to it more. But in the uh, links of the podcast, there's lots of information about the type of work that they're doing and as well a link to contribute to the fundraising that they're trying to do at the minute as well. So if you've got the facilities to contribute towards that, it would be greatly appreciated. Um, But yeah, this was a really fun chat and uh, Nathan's a, a good mate who likes to talk about music. So it was sick to get him on to talk about a record he really likes. So... Yeah, enough of me, Chinwagon. I'll let him do the rest. Uh, please enjoy episode 84 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast, talking with Nathan about highlights of a dangerous life by the Johnnies. Fucking brutal. Nathan, thank you for doing the podcast with me. No worries. All right. So, the record you chose, I had never heard of before. I'd heard I'd heard of the band, but I'd never heard the record, I suppose. Um, mm. So, you chose Highlights of a Dangerous Life by the Johnnies. Yeah. Why this record? Well, at first, I was going to choose um, Tom Waits' Rain Dogs. Because I know you asked me a couple of months mm. ago- about doing this and that's because I, I I always say that straight away when anyone asks me about a record I want to talk about because it's my favourite album of all time. It's just the one. Yep. But it's just a bit, I don't know. I, I listened to it and I was like, I don't think I really want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's something you like listening to and not chatting about. <laughs> yeah. And I sort of tried to imagine myself going through all of those songs and explaining why this fucking garbage is something that I love. <laughs> <laughs> And I just, yeah, I thought, no, I'll choose something that is, like, rad and fun and has, you know, lots of just interesting, I don't know, I guess, music scene value. Like, it's, yeah, like, the Johnnies are just a fucking iconic, almost just completely underappreciated fucking punk band. Well, yeah, I mean, I think first, my first thing with it, I mean, I, so... I guess my understanding or br- rough knowledge of them was that they were like a precursor to, uh, you know, of the pub rock sort of era of bands. But it's really, mm. it's really wild listening to it. And like, I guess the, I mean, I suppose like the theme of the record or at least like, you know, the band at, at, in this album is like, you know, it's a country it's like it themed like a country record kind of thing, but the the music yeah. itself is very like punk rock blues country sort of all mashed in together. Like yeah, and yeah. I guess I guess at that time though, probably 
I don't know if it was just in Australia, but at that time, I'm like, I'd almost be certain though no one was thinking like, oh, we're going to start a punk band or we're going to start a this band or whatever. It was just, this is the, these are the guys are playing this sort of music. So this is what it's going to sound like. Yeah. I think, I think it's almost like, like there's a few other bands that sort of emerged around like early eighties where they'd all been doing stuff that had really specific genres just yeah. attached to it. And there was just this big mid to late seventies kind of mushroom records takeover where everything was either rock and roll, Oz rock or post punk, you know, and it was just like, you just had to, you just had to do that. Yeah. And there was all of these bands that just got, I think almost the herd got really thinned into the ones that, got successful or wanted to be, yeah. you know, Gadinsky bitches and the <laughs> ones who wanted to just actually write their songs and maybe yeah. write some songs that didn't sound like their last songs and be free. Yeah. And so I think maybe that the Johnny's becoming like cowpunk is what it was, it was named, which I think is fucking hilarious because I'm sure they didn't actually like that. <laughs> but um, it's the label it got. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, because everyone has to get a fucking genre. It's like, but no, I think they just actually liked old rock and roll and like almost old, like you could tell they must like the old blues standards and like just like hard and fast, like rough Delta strumming. And then to write like the narrative type shit that you would find in like a Jimmy Barnes solo album, you know, like, like, and almost fantasy kind of shit like they're all white aussie dudes and they're creating this insane landscape of this north american kind of frontier yeah that's that was like the first thing i thought i was just like this is so interesting to take like an american lyrical viewpoint (laughs) yeah but being from like from australia and new zealand and stuff like yeah like it seems yeah. so bizarre to choose to choose that, but I guess at the time, like it probably would have been really naff to be singing about things from here as well, because like you said before, there's every other fucking band at the time that was either getting really big or trying to be Cold Chisel or whatever, you know. Yeah, like they were probably all doing the exact same thing. So it was probably probably one of the only moves is to go, oh, let's do not that. Like let's go this way instead. Yeah, and I, it's like it's it, everything that I've ever heard about Spencer P. Jones. It's like he didn't give a fuck about what people were supposed to do. He just yeah. he just played his songs, and if he felt like writing something about something, he wrote something. Like it wasn't like I, I just get the feeling that having him there turned this into this concept they all really signed up for and it, it doesn't feel like they got told to be a cowpunk band by the label like yeah they they decided this is going to be fucking hilarious let's all buy hats <laughs> <laughs> and like and i know how much hats cost like they, <laughs> they, they, they spent heaps of money on hats yeah and I, I can only imagine they were more expensive in the 80s as well yeah they're like really nice hats and they were really nice boots and fucking huge belt buckles and like yeah it's just like i just fucking love that they invested financially and emotionally into becoming just this cowboy band yeah but you know they weren't they weren't cowboys yeah, but then I guess I guess they actually did become cowboys. Like, what is what's a real cowboy? You know, like <laughs> you, 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 you got your at, hat, you got your boots. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at like Glenn Campbell, like a huge sort of pop country singer, like a crooner. Like he wasn't riding the ranges and no. fucking <laughs> shooting people with his fucking six shooter. Like yeah. he was just some cunt. Yeah. So, like, yeah, I mean, there's there's this there's this old tradition of people just becoming entertainers and creating stories and. I don't know. I, I think I'm going to allow it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it worked for him. Like, when 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 did you first hear it? Like, when did you first hear the record? I th- it's I I knew this was going to be one of the questions, and I can't figure it out. So I know that when I was a kid, this was the kind of thing amongst other just hundreds of you know amazing uh, rock and roll albums that were played 
in the home because my old man, um, whose birthday it is today, actually, so I'll dedicate this to him because I know he loves this record. Mm-hmm. Um, he he was an avid Oz Rock collector, and he still is, and he's just an absolute gig pig. Like he's he pits harder than anyone I've ever seen, and. <laughs> In, in fact, it becomes embarrassing to people who, who think they're hardcore because he's just a madman. <laughs> but he's he, he had all these records and I didn't know that they were good until I grew up yeah. and started realising, holy fuck, I got completely just doused and embalmed in amazing music. So, yeah. this, this one was there. But I so I but I don't remember it. It's like I know that my old man would make mixtapes, and we'd do a lot of road trips and be driving back and forth, visiting family, like all around Victoria and all the way out to Queensland and stuff. And so we we got played like so much cool shit, and this was in there. But only in the last five years, I've decided to find all those songs that were stuck to me as a child and buy the records and try and collect them all, and then read the line notes and try and find who was in the band and find all their other bands and go yeah, on my yeah. own journey. So I'm doing that. And that's where this record has become one of my, like my top, like I've got a little stack of records that are the ones that get played the most. And this is like right at the front with some other shit, like the sports and Stephen Cummings. And they're all just directly from my childhood. Yeah. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, someone else that I've done this with lately was talking about that as well. How like there's this weird thing when you're a kid where you listen to your parents' music kind of either, well, one, not knowing because it's just on and you're just following what they listen to. And then two, you get to a point where you start rejecting it all because it's your parents' music and it's not cool. And Mm. then- as you become an adult, you turn back around to it and realize like, oh, they were adults with informed music taste. That's obviously yeah, yeah. why they were listening to that. Like, no, when I was deciding that corn was better than this, <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> not, yeah. you know, not them. Um, yeah, exactly. It's And it's so wild how so much of that stuff then like comes back around and then informs you as an adult. Because I feel like, I mean, certainly like, I, I mean, you know, being of a similar age bracket and things like that, like- all this, all this like Australian rock music is, you know, I mean, s- similarly, like my dad loved it and that, that was what he would listen to. And I guess, again, we, we lived overseas as well. So, I think part of why he listened to it a lot was to, you know, uh, I guess, bring himself back home a little bit if he had, he had that control over the music he listened to and that was sort of linking him back home. But it's quite funny how then, as an adult, this stuff then informs so much of my musical thinking and things that I listen to too. And then, I guess, looking at a record like this, then as well, I start I start thinking about the other uh, the other parts of it too. And it's, I think, you know, like I mentioned before, it's like an interesting approach in this record to writing. I, I suppose mm. at the time it it would have fit in pretty comfortably with its peers of the time. And like you mentioned before, whether those were either hyper successful peers or I'm sure there was 1 million Australian rock bands that just, you know, no one's ever heard of, but yeah, like this, this fits in really well with that, but it really, it is, it does sit very differently. Like obviously having the themes they have, but like, even like the, um, like Injun Joe, that to me just sounds like any of those other like classic Australian rock, like verse chorus bluesy rock songs like it's awesome yeah you know yeah and i'm surprised that song hasn't been something i've heard more of yeah well that's that's for me that's one of my favorite songs not because i think it's a a very great song but because it's just such fucking trash yeah it is just it's just raw garbage but it's just well-written and well-produced and it's actually so i i put this album up next to hoodoo gurus uh stone age romeos like these the two albums just play so well together in fact you can you can you can blend them perfectly and they because they're um they have a whole bunch of the same people involved yeah yeah. the same the same attitude it's like dudes who have trained at some point in their young life to learn their craft really well 
and then figured out that they didn't have to be fucking technicians about it. Yeah. And, like, throwing in just dumb shit or like how the gurus didn't even have a bass player or like just three guitars and then all the layering and then you know having someone like ross wilson producing and maybe making them do funny stuff or yeah you know overproducing certain things making it theatrical like that is that's that's why i love this thing like injun joe and then gurus leilani it's the same song yeah right it, it, it is the same song and you can play them back to back and like, it's just, it's the same exact thing. And, and it's this, it's, it's, it's pretty much racism. Like it's just, it's just this really bizarre colonial voyeurism type of racist music that is very conflicting to me as an Aboriginal man, but I'm so drawn to it yeah. because it's just, trash like it's camp trash and yeah. yeah like i fucking love it well that, i mean that that was one of the that was one of the points i was interested in raising <laughs> with you how, how, how you feel about some of the the messages yeah. delivered here <laughs> i mean yeah it's like i it's like yeah the cowboys and indians thing is always going to be like a weird uncomfortable kind of angle and i i think these days the johnnies and well everyone in particular you know everyone in the scene sort of steers away from going too hard on that angle but they can't get away from it and you know none of us can get away from the fact that cowboys and indians was just a thing yeah yeah you know and we didn't know that it was colonial violence that we were talking about (laughs) so now we know that we're like well i don't think we want to wear t-shirts that say no engines on them anymore (laughs) (laughs) but it hasn't translated to the modern era yeah, I, I feel comfortable enough, like, in my education now, and especially as an Indigenous person, to be able to say, look, I, I, I know you're not writing songs like that anymore, and, you know, we're all kind of on this journey, so I'm glad there was only one song that was kind of that shitty on the album, <laughs> and the same goes for Stone Age Romeo's, because yeah. it's like, all right, you got it out of your system, you didn't spend the whole time, like, having fucking shootouts at the corral or anything but that yeah. was the whole theme it didn't transcend yeah. the music entirely yeah i mean the other thing that's interesting about this band too i mean really that like the active most active period of the band is they were really only like actively c- releasing music at that time for seven years like yeah that's which is like crazy to think about in terms of you know the the I suppose the other bands that they like members had, you know, had things to do with like Hoodoo Gurus mm. or Beast Suburban or whatever, like th- things that yeah. they then are a part of. It's interesting that the lifespan of something like this is so short. Um, Cause I mean, like, I mean, I- I'm, I'm currently in a band that's been a band for 11 years, like, mm. which to me is madness to think that something like this get- only gets sprung for such a short amount of time. But at the same time, like, I guess when you're, a part of something that is growing and developing so much like a a genre and a scene that this music was. Yeah. You know, th- there probably only was like a, a little speck that you could have going mm. on something like this before you needed to go on to the next thing. Like- Yeah. And, um, and it's like they were, I think, I, I mean, they and they still play, obviously, without yeah. Spencer. Uh, and I saw them last year play at Northcote Social Club and they fucking hammered. Like- Yeah. It was like the most I've been excited at a live show like in years because yeah, it was sick. like it was it was rad. But yeah, I, I get the feeling that their their sort of short lifespan, you know, maybe their heyday, they were just this power force that was added to a lot of bills, and they played a fuckload of shows, and they played good hard shows, and like you, you see a lot of old posters of theirs, well, bills that they're on. And you just imagine, like, them playing shows with, I don't know, the Saints or the Angels or, you know, like, these other yeah. bands. And, like, they, that's a huge fucking bill, mm. but they weren't the big names. But yeah, you yeah. know that, that 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 crowd would have been so stoked with them. And that's sort of, I think, they're like this workhorse band that, that you know, it's huge value. And they must have played over a 1,000 gigs in that time and, you know, 50,000 free beers. Like, I, <laughs> I think it's, like... You know the the brightest flame. Yeah, you know. Well, I mean, is is this um, 
like this collection of songs to you is this the thing that's always going to be the standout of theirs like obviously they've got other music as well but is this the thing that stands out the most i think it's the most complete and uh fully curated album like yeah. it it feels like they made it in one era and it's them and their idea was executed and produced like i like their their other one which i've got sitting here grown up wrong it's a banger but it's like second album syndrome or whatever like mm. they they may have sat around thinking oh i think we got to write something that appeals to all that good feedback we got and yeah, sort yeah. of got maybe got spoiled a little bit but it's an amazing record and um they and motorbiking i think is the, one of the biggest singles off grown up wrong and that's a fucking great song and it's got an amazing film clip where it's just like a blue screen where they're sitting around on motorbikes with hot chicks wrapped around them <laughs> and they're like they're not moving or anything but they're like they're bounce, bouncing around and smiling and wearing sunnies and there's not even no wind in their hair or yeah, anything great. there's like traffic traffic moving at the wrong angle behind them <laughs> and yeah and it's just like about being in a biker gang riding down the hume causing trouble yeah. with their girlfriends um Something which I assume they all were not actively participating in. (laughs) But they actually picked up work by doing that kind of thing. Like, I'm pretty sure that they, like, used to play a whole bunch of Hells Angels parties and, like, like, get paid heaps and probably not just in cash. (laughs) And just, like, yeah, like, that was, they really bought themselves this ticket to being, like, this cool, tough guy band. Yeah. And, I like, it's rad. I mean, that, that's that's another thing that's always very interesting to me about, I mean, it, it, you can, it's the same of like any uh, like older, older world music scenes and genres and things like that. Like, you know, you hear stories of, I don't know, uh, not a great similar example, but things like, you know, Kiss taking Van Halen on their first tour, like the first mm-hmm. proper tour and then- Two years later, Van Halen headlining a tour and asking Kiss to do the tour, like, to open their tour. And, like, these old world stories which now don't seem that likely. But then this era of Australian music has so much of that stuff, too. Like, even- I mean, it's a a funny, similar comparison. But, like, listening- I was listening to this interview with Jimmy Barnes where he, he talked, like, at length about how after he left Cold Chisel, he was- he went and tried out to be the singer for Van Halen after-, after <laughs> Did he? David- Yes. Yes, it's a true story. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, like in between David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar, they asked him- They like basically asked him to sing for them, at least as far as I understand. And he, tur- he basically had the gig and he turned it down because- they said to him that they were going to, like, they wanted to take a more, like, musical route. They didn't want to be known as, like, a glam rock band anymore. And he yeah. was like, oh, no, nah, I want to be in a rock band. I don't want to be in, like, I don't want to be the guy who make, who you get in and we do an acoustic record. That's not going to be good for you or for me or whatever. So, he sort of just ba- bailed on it, I guess. And then they get Sammy Hagar and then the band takes, a, you know, it becomes a whole nother huge level yeah. And it's quite funny, like, listening to Jimmy Barnes talk about that and just say, like, yep, so, missed out on that opportunity. <laughs> like, so, is that- So, that's that's after Chisel. Yeah, it's after it's after Chisel. I think he was over- He was in America recording or something. And I think he recorded- yeah. He recorded that song that-, that, that Sweated that, out. Well, this, the song of was his it? that he wrote with- um, uh, what's his name? Little Stevie from The Sopranos and the E Street Band. He wrote oh, a right. he wrote a song for him, and he was in America recording it. And I guess through that or through some other connection, he, you know, Van Halen knew of him, and it was it was at the same time when they just kicked David Lee Roth out, and so they were like, oh, this guy can this guy can scream, this guy can sing, blah blah. blah. But it's one of those things where like the little stories, like nuggets like that, are just like. Yeah. I fucking love hearing that shit. And that that was like I remember look that up. <laughs> oh yeah. It was like it like one of the one of the other things to me too was like when I first moved here was like jamming at Bakehouse. I know obviously you practice there and stuff as well, but like yeah. the first time I went there and then people like telling me stories about things that had happened there and stuff about the building and shit and I was just like 
oh, this is like real legit Australian like rock and roll history. <laughs> like, I fucking love that place, man. That is like every time, every single time I go there or talk to Helen or Quincy, something comes up in conversation just about some insane encounter they've had. Yeah. And th- and them talking about it the same way I would about like, oh, my uncle just popped in un- unannounced and, <laughs> yeah. and we had a cup of tea. Yeah. It's like, oh, M- MC5 just walked in and demanded a room. <laughs> so, so yeah, we set him up upstairs and, yeah, and, and then it's like, oh, yeah, no, P- Paul Kelly was here. It's like, yeah, uh, okay, hang on. <laughs> what? Fill me in on yeah, that part. All right. <laughs> <laughs> That bit you've just glazed over. The other day, I was, oh, no, it was a few months ago, I was there. I was walking down one of the corridors and uh, the dude from Radcap was was jamming solo. Yeah. And I was like, it's not quite Paul Kelly, but like this place is fucking sick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was like, I mean, I think that, I mean, that's another thing too. That was, well, I mean, one interesting for me sort of moving here and realizing like how, how different things like that can be and how- I guess how ingrained it is in music culture, I suppose, in Melbourne specifically now is like that connection between older bands and, you know, and acts and things like that. And then and venues and jam spaces and stuff here. It's like it's crazy to think of, you know, like there's, you know, there's venues now that I've played that at some point were like it was like a historic show was held there and things like that, which is fucking awesome. But like, yeah, it it obviously wasn't very present or I suppose accessible to me when I was living in Canberra, which is obviously very different, but yeah, like, I mean, one of the things for me with like, with records like this in this era of, of music as well, is that like, I mean, I think like I've mentioned a couple of times already that like this, this sound is something now that's so specifically of this time period in Australia mm. and seemingly like not that I've heard it, but like it does not exist outside of Australia. It's not like metal where every country's got its own metal band or, you know, pop music really has, you know, started somewhere in the world and then been informed elsewhere, whether it's in America or whether it's in Europe or, you know, like yeah. K-pop or whatever, and then that translates. This style yeah. rock music is like yeah. only here. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was. Um, I read a a Spencer P. Jones interview a while ago, and um, he was saying that Gun Club was the American equivalent. Yeah, at right. the time. Like they were a punk band playing country music, however the fuck they wanted. Yeah. And don't sound like punk or country. And so, cowpunk got applied to both of their bands. And then, um, I forget the story because I'm terrible with details, but basically, Gun Club were touring, but the entire band, except the singer whose name I can't remember, um, couldn't come. Yeah. So, the Johnnies were the band. <laughs> and they, they did the tour with them and opened for them and then came back out on stage and were a different band <laughs> and, and played... <laughs> played gun club songs and yeah and apparently they just got completely fucking wasted for a long time and became friends and yeah so there's like this this connection i think to well i mean yeah other continents where you've got people doing similar things at the similar time and not wanting to conform to genre yeah but still ending up being in this well, we've all learned how to play lots of blues and rock and roll and we've all learned how to write the similar kind of poetry prose type stanza lyrics yeah yeah we're just gonna you know some of us are going to end up becoming this these similar bands Um, yeah yeah it's i mean because that was always one of the other things to me that that i found funny with with bands like like of this era is that like none of them really trans translated into becoming big bands internationally Mm. like they're all huge here but not elsewhere and like i mean even Again, like like cold chisel type stories where you know they they were big in the Netherlands for some reason, but that was the yeah. only place in the world other than Australia that they were like it was worthwhile them going to, and like yeah, understandably like a lot of these bands, and then then even into like more modern things. Not that it's the same, but like like a band like Silverchair trying to go to the states and being like 
10 years too late on grunge and, yeah. and like 10 years younger and then just coming home and being like, oh, well, I guess we can play like stadiums here and we can't play a pub in, in America. So, we'll just stay here. Like, yeah. Yeah. And But it, it's, I, it, it is something that's very interesting to me how like how interconnected a lot of this stuff becomes here. And then I don't know if, it, if it's something like ingrained in my head from the the music that i have grown up playing that like the aspiration is always to leave like it's always you gotta Mm. gotta try and do something else gotta try and do stuff somewhere else whereas i think the reality of a lot of this stuff i'm sure you know at the time one the worldview on this was like these things here are great like you mentioned before like if they're doing really sick stuff they're getting they're working like a circuit probably of sorts that was things like playing hell's angels events and stuff like that yeah like, fucking summary yeah like, <laughs> everyone says like all the old rock dogs say that those were the gigs mm. so yeah like they were definitely rich for entertainment and you know and reputation yeah even without the the world tour and you know the top billing and all that the charting and stuff like that yeah um but no, yeah, like those workhorse bands were, were paying for everything at Mushroom. Like yeah. it was, they only had like every now and then they would have some superstars, but like Mushroom put out everything. Like they fucking invested so much money constantly into this, all these shitbag bands. Yeah. And some of them became really fucking popular. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, it's, and it's quite interesting that's that like all that, you know, I guess that record label stuff here too, where as well, there wasn't the other thing here too, was there wasn't 10 big labels that were all vying for each other's artists. Like there wasn't, you know, all these things fighting each other and trading off labels and and people getting trapped in bad deals and things like that. Because I guess at the time there was one big thing and it just amassed everyone and then just went, okay, here it all is. (laughs) Like, yeah. And There's I, some fucking great shit. And there was, there was definitely some bad deals, but yeah. Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sure there was- I'm sure there was a lot of these guys too who were, you know, coming off the back of, yeah, you know, playing- playing like clubhouse shows or whatever and then going yeah. like, oh, we'll give you this and we'll own everything. And then just going, yeah, fuck it, who cares? <laughs> like- Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I guess when- when listening to this now, like, how- how is this- informed like you musically and you playing music now well i my entire guitar playing um platform is blues and then i guess stepping into really choppy kind of punk standard blues guitar playing where it's lots of just short runs and really really simplified kind of scale back blue standards that are easy to sing over mm-hmm. that don't fucking take long easy to remember and it's basically just green day like it's just <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so this is in my you know as i become older and as i actually start giving a fuck about playing guitar properly and wanting to play chords and do fiddly little country guitar tricks that sound nice and mm. you know take some pride in playing rather than just sort of hacking and chugging i'm drawn to this t- type of guitar playing because spencer p jones was just a fucking genius like yeah. he was an amazing musician and i would just love to be able to play guitar a little bit as good as him because he plays emotionally and um really honestly and you know he makes mistakes and fuck ups, but rides them out. Like he yeah. use, uses feedback and bends and, um, and also just drops notes all the fucking time. And like, he just bashes his guitars. And yeah. that's like, that's where I'm at with my playing is I don't need to be a tech shredder because that's hard work. And there's not, it's not. It's not the the path for me. You know, no. like it's as you like you you know that path. There's there's oh, yeah. this there's this real uh, narrow sort of prize in there somewhere of just nailing nailing what you play. And I I just don't have the fucking the patience for it. No, um, I like to play things different every time. 
Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing too is there's there's also like a certain, <clears throat> well, level of like musicality and a window there where, I mean, for me, the, the whole trigger for me with all this is that like at a, at a time, and I mean, I've quite openly said this, I think even talking to someone on this recently, like I was definitely a better guitar player when I was like 16 years old because <laughs> all I did was sit at home and play guitar. So like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I like learnt solos and could could like- do cool stuff and then but then as as i think about it all the time i spent playing guitar when i was 16 and i was way better at guitar i don't have anything to show for that like i have not whereas like all the all the records that i've played on or things that i've done musically come from the bad guitar playing and the like exactly and stopping caring about Oh, I've, I, it's got to fit into this or it's got to fit into that. It was just literally like, okay, do the dumb version of that or what makes Murph laugh when I play that on guitar? Okay, that's the song. <laughs> exactly. And I like that's, that's how I'd like to think all our favorite records were made is everyone could become a classical guitarist if they wanted to mm. or everybody could like fight to be the best rip off Randy Rhodes. Yeah, yeah. But like, what's the point? You know, yeah, you you want to have fun and you want it to sound like you put something in it that you were willing to let go. Yeah. And so that's why I love this shit is it's like like the Johnnies are just good and honest, but they're having fun. And yeah. even like just like you know that they're just ripping beers and taking the piss out of each other <laughs> and just being fucking assholes. And you know that like some of the takes weren't great, but they were the ones they liked the best. And yeah, like there's. That's that's really where I put myself as a musician. It, I don't I, I don't usually use the M word, but in this discussion, I will compromise. <laughs> yeah, but that's you know, like there is there's something that I need to hear on a record, and it's the same reason I love fucking the old Paul Kelly and the Coloured Girls. Yeah, like they they were a punk band. They were the same band as these guys, but they were shooting for or of a Bob Dylan kind of pathway whereas these guys were shooting for fuck i don't know who mighty robbins yeah yeah. like with overdrive yeah yeah i mean i guess the the other thing that's like really interesting for for me when thinking about music like this too is how um i suppose in a way it it is kind of ahead of its time too in that like i mean it's very specific to the time it's a part of but then now in this era of music, a lot of people are trying to recapture sounds like this now and recapture mm. like a uh, like a punk ethos like like this as well. That's yeah. quite that's quite funny now that that the way music as it works in or at least in Australia now it's so different to this now. Like it's mm. all like trying to do something like going out and playing a Sunbury like pub or something is like almost yeah. un- unfeasible really <laughs> if, if yeah. for, for this kind of music i suppose or yeah, people totally. trying to replicate this style or whatever and yeah. but it's i mean it, it's one of those things like i think it's, it's stuff like this is you know relatively timeless in terms of what it's being what it's being used for because like the 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 message of maybe not the lyrics so much or the or the theme, but the message of like playing music, like you mentioned, that is like it does have fuck ups in it and it does have incorrect parts. But then at the same time, like the vibe on it is so sick that you ignore that and you keep pushing yeah. with it, you know? It's a party record. Like it is, I I play this when I want to feel good and like where, where I want to sort of amp up and- try to inspire myself to get in that energy like it's that it's the only good thing about rockabilly is how fucking rad it makes you feel like yeah, it's yeah. that that's it's the same thing like and you you can say that some of these songs are rockabilly songs they're fucking dancing rock and roll yeah, like, yeah. that's that's the deal um but they just weren't pricks about it <laughs> like, so that's so that's why you keep having to use the word punk somewhere in there <laughs> drag it back into reality <laughs> um all right. Well, it wouldn't be wouldn't be a true podcast if I didn't talk to you about some of the things that you are doing. So, despite sure. despite being um, trapped trapped in isolation like everyone else in the world, mm. wh- what are the things that you are doing to like absorb 
creativity and absorb productivity for yourself? Well, so I am, I'm the general manager of Barpadilla Foundation and we're an, an Aboriginal uh, not-for-profit and we, we do basically arts development and support work for community and we're building studios at um, Collingwood Yards, Collingwood Arts Precinct on Johnson Street next to the Tote. Yeah. Um, so, we've got two big studios in there and what I've been doing is buying a shitload of gear, you know, PA and backline and guitars and stuff um, and that's that's pretty fun to have an opportunity to <laughs> to sort of pretend that I'm really rich and buying <laughs> lovely things and um, so, that's actually the silver lining of you know, lockdown and no one been able to do any work is a lot of the nice, nice things are coming home with me. So, <laughs> like, I've got a three and a half thousand dollar guitar sitting right here that I've been able to just babysit. That's lovely. Yeah, it's actually like I definitely don't like what's going on in the world at the moment, but there's a fucking lovely guitar that's just there. So, it's, it's worked out okay at the moment. Yeah, no one else is allowed to play it, unfortunately, because <laughs> we can't open the studio. <laughs> So what's what's the eventual plan for for setting all that up? So we're basically trying to uh, uh, have instrument library and a full backline uh, available for hire. Um, and so for any of our like any First Nations bands or artists um, can approach us to either get free or reduced cost gear hire. So any traveling people like they can come down and not have to bring their drums and amps and stuff like that. We've got lots of good stuff. Um, Like we've got to deal with Yamaha who own, obviously all, all the Yamaha gear is great, but also Vox and um, Ampeg and yeah, we've got to deal with CMC music as well, which is Ernie Ball and Faith guitars and bits and pieces. So we've just got access to all this rad shit and people can use it all, but also, use it in our studio if they want. So we'll have a, a small event space and we'll be able to record demos and small performances in there and people can hold record launches or workshops and things like that. And yeah, it's it's gonna be just a flexible space and yeah. Pretty much just gonna be a bit of an open door a few days a week where people can come and sit down if they need to have meetings or do work. Because we know a lot of musicians don't have a real office. So we're trying to create a space where people can use as an office. Yeah, sure. And how did how mm. did how did all this like come about? How did it all start up? Uh, basically, so um, Briggs is one of my best mates, and we've just sort of had this discussion as he's been developing Bad Apples Music, his record label, and there's there just became a really obvious space for a community organization to exist. Um, because so many requests for support and services would go to the label and even though a lot of the work would get done and, you know, requests would be fulfilled, uh, it just became pretty clear that we should set something up and do it properly and, you know, make a really, um, really clear statement yeah. to the industry that we expect more than, than what we typically get and we're willing to work for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I guess the other thing too is is really in the the environment that we're in currently too, particularly in in that. I mean, you know, even though I, I've had a very different experience with it all, it's it's there's there's no there's never enough out there that you can access with things like that. So there needs to yeah. be there need people do need to you know take a stand a bit as well and just go. All right, we're going to do this and fuck the other thing that's already out there. This is what's happening now too. And I mean, I think, I, I think f- for me, like uh, knowing that there's, you know, a, a way to advertise this out and promote things out like this too is really important for everyone to access things like that too. Because I mean, one of the hardest things when you're trying to do something is having big, you know, even when you're starting out, like not knowing where where to go to get gear or not knowing where a studio yeah. is or how to access that. Well, exactly. That's we. We're trying to make make it so that the next kind of influx of emerging artists or even some established artists who haven't necessarily tried to, you know, get into mainstream or, you know, anything outside of community or just doing their own stuff is 
use those lessons that so many of us have already learned about how hard it is to maintain relationships with promoters and bookers and try to make sure that you uh, you know you maintain your principles and values but also maintain your longevity in terms of being able to keep going back to certain venues and yeah you know like all that kind of industry stuff that can feel really dirty but once you figure it out you feel good and it's usually early 30s if you've been doing it since your late teens where you figure out who your what your identity is as a musician as a working muso um so we're trying to sort of fast track some some aboriginal community who are already doubly marginalized Mm. so wanting to just sort of give them some tips and support and also just kick some fucking doors open like just that's the whole thing is make sure that we're not just doing fly in fly out support and opportunities like we're not just going to do a rap workshop in a desert town and make a video like people already do that but that's not a sustainable long-term yeah assist assistance you know no one no one is going on to grow and be empowered beyond that although that's an amazing opportunity for them it's one weekend and the youtube video isn't gonna get them a job yeah yeah so you know it's complex and everyone's got an individual situation but we're really working towards sustainability and empowerment like that's 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 it always has to be the best and we only partner with people who who really want to do the work yeah and like i mean i suppose you know that highlights as well like an important thing too is that like there you know there needs to be there needs to be a way for people to be able to continue on the thing that they want to do as well because like Mm. you just mentioned if something happens like a flash in the pan thing once that doesn't stop that person from fucking thinking about it every day for the rest of their life as well and you know it's and it can't always be waiting around for the next thing to strike for lightning to strike again. Like you need to like, obviously pe- people need to take their own initiative forward, but they also need to have knowledge and understanding of how to use that, you know? And I think yeah. a lot of people obviously learn that from having, having, you know, recurring experiences or things like that, but where those recurring experiences maybe aren't accessible or as possible, there does need to be something to help usher that through and because yeah. there's no lack of i mean i, I think another thing to, there's always there's always such a risk of losing great experience and great talent because there's not opportunity like yeah. and and that's that's something that's got to be fostered somehow you know and particularly right now where it is very challenging because you know in ways like things like the internet and stuff like that is obviously very accessible and beneficial but at the same time it can also be very daunting and challenging to try and break into something that is so enormous and so like yeah and yeah i mean i think i think that's really important as well um yeah so i guess obviously as you just mentioned a time like this right now is preventing some aspects of these things moving forward being Mm. that the guitars are in your house and not (laughs) yeah not out there for people to use um but it is is the plan to sort of get this all rolling as best you can once everything returns to some sense of normality yeah we've had it all rolling for about a year already we've been working for two years and it's been a year since we've actually been doing the work running programs and workshops and live shows and everything so like we lost a bunch of gigs and also partnership discussions all froze so we're hoping that once the doors start opening up again we go back to all the people who had given us guarantees and and um bookings and just sort of pick them back up and yeah. get the income going again because we're trying as hard as possible to not rely on um government funding we're trying to make our own money which is yeah. really important to us as a principle is to to do do the work and earn the money so uh, we're doing a lot of gigs and really doing a lot of promotion and um trying to make our own rent so try to pay the rent through money that we earn and so that's the biggest impact that we've had is that we're struggling to pay our rent because our income froze up but we're figuring it out yeah but yeah so we'll we'll get back to that back to performing back to trying to create as many opportunities as possible yeah well i mean it's i think that's one of like the the biggest well the starkest realizations about everything that's going on at the moment is that stuff like i mean it's obviously been discussed quite a lot anyway but things like the arts and stuff like that just 
I mean, it's copped this so much harder than a lot of other things have because it's yeah. just- if you can't fucking go anywhere, you can't, you can't do most of this stuff. Well, that's it. Um, yeah, so, we're working to actually try to encourage people to improve the quality of their online performing and their streaming and um, and their video pieces and stuff like that just to, to make it more of an equivalent of the live shows that they would be doing if they could. Mm. Um because, I mean, everyone's seeing the same thing is there's a whole heap of people going live at the moment and doing bedroom gigs. Yeah. And that's that's rad because they're staying engaged with their audience and they're also expressing themselves. And, it, you know, there's a lot of really good reasons to do all of that. But um, we're trying to make sure that there is some high-quality work still occurring and that there's still some really nice, um, nice videos and nice, well-mixed audio somewhere in there so that we're not just starting to get used to basically shitty selfie videos <laughs> as as the gigs that we've got at the moment. You know, and a lot of people are doing a good job, but we're trying to just come up with ways of, you know, getting some mics and um, USB interfaces to some of our artists just to sort of get them treating it like a real show. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I guess the other thing too is really- like, as much as it, it's a force thing and it's something that, you know, I hope as well as everyone else, it doesn't fucking go on for too much longer. At the same mm. time, it is a good it is a, it is a good opportunity to learn things like that as well. Like, I mean- Totally. I, I know, like, so many people who have spent this downtime being really productive in terms of writing and recording and things like that. And I mean, one of the reasons I'm doing this is because for some- unknown reason i simply cannot think of anything to play on guitar other than like yeah the crazy train intro four million times but like you know i need to do some of this so that my brain keeps active in terms of what it is used to doing you know yeah 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 totally um well i've just been playing the same licks on nicer guitars <laughs> maybe that's where i'm missing out i just need a nicer guitar and then i'll do it and some some pedals too. Like we got it. We got a bunch of um, Earthquaker pedals, and I've been going nuts on the Bit Commander, like Sick. the the tripped out synth pedal, and using that with an auto wire. And it's like I just play the same dumb shit that I've been playing for years, but all of a sudden, I'm playing P Funk. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds so good now. Yeah, yeah. Like just give it a complete, like give it a real choppy swing, and I'm fucking Bootsy Collins. <laughs> Well, I'm glad this uh, experience has offered you the opportunity to explore oh, that. Man, I'm, I'm trying to make it sound good. I feel like shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for uh, chatting to me on this. Um, and yeah, any any final things that you want to put out there? Where can we find everything from the stuff that you're working on at the moment? Uh, yeah, so actually, if people check out um, Barpadilla Foundation, B-A-R-P-I-R-D-H-I-L-A, um, we're running a fundraiser at the moment trying to um, raise funds for First Nations artists who've lost income due to the coronavirus pandemic, and we're going to start distributing funds in the next couple of weeks. Um, so, if you search for Barpadilla you'll find us and um, you should find that. And I'd encourage everyone to chuck in a few bucks because we're, um, yeah, we're trying to get that out nationally and, you know, try and help a whole heap of people um, basically stay afloat. Awesome. Mm. All right. Well, thank you for spending time talking with me about this record. Thanks, mate. Cheers.